0: It seems like soap operas and television dramas are so similar, it's kind of crazy. They all seem to have the same storyline at one time or another. Some of those dramas and some of those soap operas carry that storyline through, it seems like, almost every episode. Uh, Someone has their feelings hurt. And because their feelings are hurt, they tell everyone that they're offended Except for the one that offended them And they proclaim it to everybody else And so everybody else Hears about the offense And they're upset At the one who did the offending But it seems like in most of those dramas That the offending The offender doesn't even know That they've done the offending And don't know that they've offended anyone And so that's the whole 23 minute segment Is all of this offense that goes on And then the hero of our story, hears it, and he says, you know what, there's two sides to the story. And he brings, he does something crazy, he brings the two parties together. And the one party says, hey, you offended me. And the one who did the offending said, oh, I did not realize I offended you. That was not what I meant. And then as the segment closes and as the commercial comes, everything is peachy poo in Northville once again. And we can wait until next Tuesday and know that everything's going to be okay. It's amazing how, as we think about that, that that same situation occurs in real life. That's not something that just takes place on sitcoms. We see people getting offended all the time. But one thing that's amazing is sometimes we don't have that superhero That steps in to help the offended and the offender come together. This morning, our journey through 2 Corinthians continues, and a situation in Corinth has occurred. And as a result of that situation, there is division within the church, there is a lack of unity within the church, and there is a need for forgiveness, and there is a need for comfort to be given. And Paul is writing this letter to encourage them to forgive and encourage them to comfort one another through this difficult time. So as we look at this passage this morning, hopefully we'll see the importance of forgiveness and be reminded of the value of comfort. Before we dive into this passage, let's just have a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for this morning that you've given to us. Lord, grateful for this opportunity that we have to be able to look into your word. And I pray, Lord, as we look into your word, that your word would look into us. I pray you'd open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us, Lord. And I pray that when we leave here today, we'll know that we've heard from you. And so, Lord, the only way that can happen is if you speak. So we pray, Lord, that we would hear you today. Father, we're so grateful for who you are, so grateful for your living word. And it's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen. Hopefully you have your Bibles open already to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We want to dive in and look at verses 5 through 11 as we begin this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 5 says this, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure Not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to, forgive, and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you, reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Now, as we look at this passage this morning, there are four headings that we're going to kind of use to kind of move through this. The first thing we see is the pain in verse 5. We see the punishment in verse 6. We see the problem in verse 7. And then we see the plan in verses 8 through 11. Now, the first thing we want to look at is the plan. Or, sorry, the pain. Verse 5. Notice what it says there is verse 5 begins. Now, if anyone has caused pain. Now, as we look at this passage here, it appears that there had been some sin within the church. The the actions of one particular person has caused pain for the others. Now, as Paul moves through this and as Paul unfolds this for us, we don't get a lot of details about what happened. There's lots of speculation about what happened. We saw there in 1 Corinthians where where Paul wrote and spoke of of the man who was living with his father's wife And that sin was being ignored in the church. And Paul encouraged them to discipline that member uh, and put him out of the church. Uh, This is probably not that instance he's talking about. We saw some people make accusations against Paul. And maybe this is what Paul is speaking about is some of those false accusations that were coming. Maybe that's what we're dealing with. But really, Paul shares with us no details about what all is going on here. Uh, He just speaks about it, that it has caused pain amongst them. Now, look, notice what he says. If anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me. So Paul, in this instance, he is not the one who's experiencing the pain. Now, this is why so many or some believe that these accusations that were being made, these accusations that were being made against Paul is the reason for all of this turmoil That's going on in the church of Corinth Uh, We do know that there were a group of people That were here in Corinth That were kind of zealous About their support of Paul Uh, There was different sects within the church That were kind of following their favorite leader Uh, Paul shared this in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 1 What I mean is that each one of you says I follow Paul, I follow Apollos I follow Cephas, and I follow Christ And so what some believe here is there are a group that are seeking and Paul is their favorite preacher. And someone from one of these other groups made an accusation about Paul uh, or maybe a false teacher came in or not a false teacher, but someone from that group came in and, and made these accusations and it offended Paul's group. And so because that group was offended, there's a lack of unity here in the church. And some believe that, that maybe that's what was, they were talking about and they were holding on to the hurt that was there. That could be what was taking place. But either way, there is a hurt that's here. And Paul says, you know what? I'm not hurt. I'm not offended. You guys can be offended on my behalf, but I am not offended by it. I have, I have forgiven them. For that offense Now notice his verse 5 continues He says but in some measure Not to put it too severely To all of you Now whatever this sin was Has caused some pain To others within the church And Paul says Not to put it too severely But this sin that has taken place Has affected All of you it's caused pain in some degree to all of you and so as a result of that there was a lack of unity now Paul is not downplaying the event Paul is not making light of the event he understands that they are hurt and this sin that has taken place has hurt everyone that's in the church It's amazing as you think about this, that this is the problem with actions that are wrong. It hurts others. We don't often like to think about it, but it hurts other people. It is impossible for there to be hurt or for there to be strife that it doesn't spread to others. Oftentimes when we are hurt, instead of going to the one who's offended us, we go to Facebook or we go to other people within the church and we share our hurt. And I'm hurt in this regard. Instead of taking care of it uh, as we need to take care of it, we go to everybody else. And this is what's taking place here uh, in the church. Everybody is hurt. Everybody is affected by that offense, by that sin that has taken place. And uh, is even if we don't share with particular people, they notice they noticed the friction that's there because we don't deal with it. We don't take care of it. We don't move through it. And that's what was going on here. And so as a result of this, There were those who were suffering from this pain. They were suffering this turmoil because of this offense, because of this sin that was taking place. All right? Now, we see the pain. Now, notice the punishment in verse 6. For such a one, this punishment by the majority. So, evidently, This sin that had taken place was a sin of the magnitude where church discipline had taken place. The majority of the people took steps of discipline and they uh, sought to take care of this situation. Uh, The majority in the church were involved in this process. All right? Jesus speaks about the steps of church discipline in Matthew 18. He shares this if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So this is step one. When a brother offends another brother, the first thing that we do is we go to that brother. And notice it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. This is the English Standard Version that I'm reading from. And it doesn't say anything about Facebook here. Okay? It says, you and him alone. So this is what is to happen. This is where it's to happen. And it says, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So there's no more turmoil. There's no more disunity because we've resolved this between the two of us. Okay? Uh, And so that is step one. Verse 16 says this, But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So notice in verse 16, the person who's offended has tried to make amends. Amends aren't being made. So he goes and gets somebody else and they go together to the person. He doesn't go and tell one person and tell another person and tell another person and tell another person. person. Goes and tells one person, maybe two people, and they go together. The desire of this is restitution. The desire for this is to heal this relationship. That's the desire. That's That's the goal is for restoration. And if it works, everything is restored. Then verse 17 says this. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a gentile and a tax collector. So this is the third step. Evidently, in this instance here, it appears that all three of these steps have taken place. There's been no reconciliation. There's been uh, the, the nothing. Step one and step two. Nothing, no reconciling had taken place. So step three was taken. uh, And the person had been put out of the membership. The person had been uh, treated as a Gentile and a tax collector and as an outsider. Now notice what he says in verse six. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So what Paul is saying here is that this punishment that has been done is enough. Enough is enough. The implication here is that the person has repented. Whatever the sin was, he's he's repented of that sin, he's turned from that sin, uh, and he's seeking reconciliation. Uh, There's been confession and and a turning back to God in his relationship, and he's restored his relationship this way, but but the restoration this way Has not taken place. Members of the church were refusing to forgive. They thought maybe this individual just needed a few more lashes before restoration took place. Maybe we just let them simmer for a little bit longer and that would be better. And Paul is saying, you know what? The punishment that has been given is enough. The punishment that has been given is enough. Now, look at the problem in verse 7. So, you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him. It is time for them to reconcile in this relationship with that one who has been exiled. That one who's been excommunicated. Now, notice the contrast here as we look at verse 6 and verse 7. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So, because that punishment is enough, you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him. The discipline has happened. The discipline has happened. Repentance has occurred. Now, Restoration of this brother needs to take place. Restoration is the completion of this disciplined circle. Each step has been taken as it needed to be taken, but now that they have repented, now that they have turned to Christ, there needs to be restoration. As we think about church discipline, as we think about the use of church discipline, that is the goal, restoration. Everything has worked so far in this event except for the restoration. Paul wrote this to the church of Galatia. Galatians 6 verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. If they're caught in this transgression, restore them. Whatever it takes to bring them back, that restoration needs to happen. And the result of that will be unity. Instead of the disunity that was going on, this restoration would take place and it would bring about unity. That's what it needed to take place. That's what needed to happen next. Restoration is the end goal. Now notice what he says in verse 7 as it continues. Or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Due to the conviction that he's experienced, there was sorrow. And there needed to be sorrow. This is 2 Corinthians 7 Verse 10, it says, For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So godly grief produces repentance. When there's a recognition that I've sinned against God, then that brings about a godly grief. And when I realize that I have sinned against God, That brings about repentance. And when I repent in regards to this relationship, this enables me to renew and to restore this relationship. This repentance of this person was real. They experienced regret. There was repentance. Now it was time to restore. If restoration didn't take place, this person would go further into their sorrow as a result of that. Instead of being restored into the family, they would be swallowed up by their sorrow. So restoration needed to take place for the Corinthians not to forgive this person who was repentant, who had repented. They were in fact guilty of sin Themselves This is Matthew chapter 6 Verse 14 If you forgive others their trespasses Your heavenly father Will also forgive you But if you do not forgive others Their trespasses Neither will your father forgive Your trespass They had taken all Of the right steps But because they were not Willing to restore this one Who had walked away As a result of that, they themselves were in sin. So Paul has a plan. He says this in verse 8. So, I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. This is a strong request from Paul. He says, I beg you, I beg you, to reaffirm your love for him. This person needed to feel that love. That people, this person needed to have that assurance. They needed to experience that love. Paul wrote the love chapter. And he wrote the love chapter to the church of Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Look at verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous, love does not brag, and it is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong that suffered. Now what that means is that there is forgiveness that's there. When we have a love for somebody, when there is a genuine love for them and we have been wronged and they confess that love and they repent of that sin, or they confess of that sin, sorry, repent of that sin. That love that we have for that brother opens up our arms, doesn't keep track of it, but brings them back in. This means that we don't keep score. Repentance has happened. Forgiveness has to be given. Now, as we think about that, we have to be mindful that there needs to be trust that's earned back, right? I mean, if they're guilty of, uh, let's say, stealing, uh, I'm not going to forgive them and then hand my checkbook. Okay, <laughs> I don't want to lead them into temptation, right? I'm going to, I'm going to forgive them of that, but I'm going to. They have to earn back some trust, right? I'm not. I'm not going to rub their nose in it every time I get an opportunity. But yet, I'm not just going to give them an open gate either. So there's forgiveness, but there still has to make some trust earned back. Does that make sense? Kind of, sort of. Some of you are still asleep, so I'm not sure. But anyway. Paul wrote this to the believers of Colossae. He said this, bearing with one another, And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So as comfort comes, forgiveness must come first. Forgiveness must come first. And sometimes that forgiveness is a difficult thing. Forgiveness sometimes is not a, I mean, forgiveness is not a one-step thing, is it? I mean, I forgive you and that's it, we're just good. Sometimes we have to continue. Now you've forgiven them for that. You've forgiven them for that. And we don't continue to bring it up to them. That's what forgiveness is. And he says, reaffirm your love for him. That word there for love is agape love. And that really is the core of of forgiveness, isn't it? Unforgiveness is a lack of that. But forgiveness is that agape love. Reaffirming that love. Is, is what is needed allowing them to return into the fellowship of the church Now notice what he says in verse 9 For this is why I wrote That I might test you And know whether you are obedient In thing. Paul had written a couple of harsh letters And he wanted to see Disciplinary action taken But his desire was to see that person repent He wanted It to happen. And he wanted it to happen before he arrived. This is what he wrote in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 3. I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. It was intended to test the Corinthian believers to see that repentance take place, to see that restoration take place. That's what Paul wanted to see. Would they be obedient in that restoration process? Now, Paul shares his forgiveness example. He says, Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Paul is all about forgiveness. When they forgave, Them, Paul would also forgive. Paul was not holding anything against that person. Paul had forgiven them. He doesn't share that I can forgive, but I just can't forget. Because what really is that? It's just me holding on to that, isn't it? Paul doesn't share that. He says, I have forgiven. And I have done it. For your sake in the presence of Christ. He's forgiving just as Christ has forgiven. He is forgiving. Paul said this to the people of Ephesus and Ephesus 4 in Ephesians 4:32. He says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Paul wanted the Corinthian fellowship to be restored. He had forgiven just as Christ had forgiven him and he wanted to see that forgiveness in their midst as well. Now notice what he says in verse 11. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his designs. Corporate forgiveness, corporate forgiveness would keep Satan from getting a foothold in the church. This implies that unforgiveness creates an opportunity for Satan. You know, Satan desires to outwit us. Satan desires nothing more than to get a church divided against itself. That's his desire. He knows that when we're divided within us that we're going to crumble. That's he knows that. And he's always seeking a way to divide. And he's always seeking a way to destroy. And when there's this unforgiveness, when there's this unforgiveness that's taking place, this opens the door for Satan. Paul shared this in Ephesians 4 verses 25 through 27. And Paul was talking about Paul was talking about relationships. And when I do premarital counseling, I often share this verse to married to couples before they get married. Uh, when couples come in and they're struggling, this is a verse that I often share. But it says this in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Speak truth to one another. Someone angers us, be truthful. Don't turn their sin into our sin. Don't let it be a time of gossip or a time of slander. Go to that person and speak with that person. The devil is always scheming. The devil is always looking for opportunities. Paul or Peter shared this in 1 Peter 5 verse 8. Be sober minded. Be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. Peter says be aware. Be on the lookout. Turn from that hurt. And seek restoration. That's what Paul's desire. Forgiveness and restoration. That's what Paul wants to see take place here in the church of corn so that they keep Satan away. That's, that's what Paul is encouraging them to do. That's what Paul desires them to do. He knows that there has been pain. He understands that. He didn't make light of it. Well, you're just being a wimp. Come on, cowboy up. He doesn't, he doesn't share that. He knows that the pain is real. The punishment that has been granted to this person has run its course. It's done what it was supposed to do. Their unforgiveness was causing a problem. Their unforgiveness was causing disunity. Their hard heart was causing issues. And because of that, Satan now had the opportunity to come in to take up residence and make sure that the Church of Corinth stayed divided. Paul has wrote them four letters saying, "Guys, we've got to get this together. Guys, we've got to get this together." And there's still that division there in their midst. His plan was for them to forgive, to come together, to show that love, and to be restored. So what do we take home from this? What do we apply to our Sunday afternoon? I think there's a few questions that we need to ask ourselves. I mean, it's easy for us to look at the pew next to us and say, yeah, I hope they're listening. I hope they <laughs> I'm going to wake them up in a second if they keep dozing off, because they need this. We're elbowing our spouses. Hey, this is for you. This is for you. But I think the thing we've got to do is we've got to ask ourselves, what hurt? are we hanging on to? What hurt are we hanging on to? What restoration needs to take place? Your hurt is real. Your hurt is there. But what do we need to do to get beyond that hurt? What do we need to do to have restoration in that relationship? Do we need to go to someone and reconcile. Maybe it's our heart. Maybe it was us being the offender, and we know we were the offender. Maybe we need to go to somebody, seek to be reconciled. Maybe someone has come to us, and maybe we have the same shoes on that the people of Corinth had, And they've come to us and they've sought forgiveness but man we're just hurt too bad we're just not going to forgive I can forgive but I'm not going to forget maybe that's the boat that we're in today we need to be in prayer about it we need to desire true forgiveness we need to desire to give comfort so that we can come together in unity so that that love that we have, that love that we should have, can be there and can be overflowing. That's what we need to do.